0: everyone, how's it going? It is November 17th here, just after five o'clock in the evening in Northern California. This is the 21st episode of our News Roundup podcast, going from October 25th to November 14th. Of course, before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear Company, your one-stop combat shop, home of the Thools, the tactical handbook for unit leaders, available at megearco.com and Amazon. Also, check out the Freelancers, which is a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters. You can find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at FreelancersConflictBlog.wordpress.com. Also, check out Fortress International, which is a veteran-owned research and analysis firm based near Washington, D.C. You can find them on Twitter and Instagram at Fortress underscore I-N-T and their website at FortressLLC.org. And with that being said, we will get started into the podcast. And of course, we'll begin with COVID-19. On the 25th, we had... 42 million cases, 1.15 million deaths, and 28 million recoveries. By the 14th of November, we had 54 million cases, 1.31 million deaths, and 34 million recoveries. There is only one country in the world with over 10 million cases. That is the US. At this point, there are 11 countries with over 1 million cases. The US, India, Brazil, France, Russia, Spain, the UK, Argentina, Colombia, Italy, and Mexico in that order. There are also 31 countries with less than 1,000 cases. That is down from 32, the podcast prior. There is 25 confirmed cases of reinfection worldwide. 24 of those have recovered so far. One has passed away, an 89-year-old patient in the Netherlands. Of those cases, three are in the U.S., six are in India, four in the Netherlands, Four in Qatar, four in Belgium, one in Hong Kong, one in Sweden, one in Spain, and one in Ecuador. Countries all over Europe and plenty of states in the US are reimposing lockdowns and other restrictions amid a surge in cases. Records are being broken consistently in the aforementioned areas, including in the US as a whole, on almost a daily basis. On the 25th, Bulgarian Prime Minister Boyko Borisov tested positive for the virus. He is resting at home. On the 27th, Mexico City Mayor Claudia Scheinbaum tested positive for the virus, but she was asymptomatic. The mayor attended an event just before the diagnosis, coming into contact with Navy Secretary Rafael Ojeda, who also tested positive. The city has over 170,000 cases and 12,000 deaths. Also, on the same day, the U.N. canceled all in-person meetings at its New York City headquarters after five people with the Mission to Niger tested positive. Nujer is on the 15-member U.N. Security Council, which met before the positive cases were announced. On the 28th, Iranian Parliament Speaker Mohammad Baghar Ghalibov tested positive. He announced that he was tested after coming into contact with another lawmaker that also had the virus. On November 2nd, Georgian Prime Minister Gheorghe Gakara tested positive. He is said to be in good health and recovering at home. On the fourth, American vaccine company Novavax signed a deal with the Australian government to deliver 40 million doses of its vaccine candidate during the first half of 2021. That vaccine is still in trials. On the fifth, Swedish Prime Minister Stefan Löfven quarantined after coming into contact with a case, Colombian Prime Minister Hun Sen and four of his cabinet ministers quarantined after coming into contact with Hungarian Foreign Minister Peter Szczesarto who recently tested positive. Lastly, the entire 172 member Colombian House of Representatives was asked to quarantine after a lawmaker tested positive, and according to their press office, as many as 150 of those lawmakers could have been exposed. On the 7th, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows tested positive. Along with him, four White House aides and one Trump campaign staffer tested positive as well. On the 7th, Bosnia-Herzegovina's and Prime Minister, Zoran Tajekla. I don't even want to know how wrong I got that. He tested positive for the virus as well. He is reported to be in stable condition with minor symptoms. On the 9th, 750 soldiers of the Indiana National Guard arrived at 250 nursing and long-term care facilities in the state. Soldiers were deployed to free up staff for patient care and will be assigned to the homes until December 31st, at least. On the 12th, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was hospitalized after contracting the virus. 42-year-old is said to be in good condition. And on the 13th, the Washington Post reported that 130 Secret Service agents were, quote, recently ordered to quarantine after either testing positive or coming into contact with a positive case. Since March, roughly 300 agents have had to quarantine. And moving on to space real quick, on the 26th, NASA announced that water had been found near the Clavius crater on the moon. According to K.C. Hannibal, who is the study's author, there are between 100 and 400 parts per million of water, which equals about a 12-ounce bottle of water within a cubic meter. And Moving on to Europe. Starting off with France on the 27th, tens of thousands march in the Bangladeshi capital, Dhaka, calling for a boycott of French goods due to French President Emmanuel Macron's defense of freedom of expression in reference to Charlie Hebdo's depiction of the prophet Muhammad. Police were able to stop the demonstrators before they reached the French embassy. The march was organized by the political party Islami Andolan Bangladesh, IAB, Prominent member of the IAB, Nassar Udin, said in reference to the march, quote, France is the enemy of Muslims. Those who represent them are also our enemies, end quote. On the same day, Iran summoned France's ambassador to the country over Macron's, quote, insulting comments to Muslims and Islam. And Saudi Arabia condemned attempts to, quote, link Islam with terrorism by Macron, but did not call for a boycott of French goods. In response to all these events, the French Foreign Ministry warned citizens traveling abroad to take extra precautions while traveling in Muslim-majority countries. On the 29th, three people were killed when a man armed with a knife shouting, quote, Allahu Akbar, which is God is great in Arabic, attacked worshippers in the Notre Dame de Nice church in the city of Nice. Twenty-one-year-old Rahiman A., who arrived from Tunisia only a month prior, was shot by police at the scene and arrested. The mayor of Nice, Christian Estrosi, attributed the attack to, quote, Islamic fascism. And within hours of that attack, an attempted stabbing attack was foiled in the city of Lyon. And in Avignon, a man was shot dead after threatening passersby with a handgun while shouting Allahu Akbar. In response to these events, the amount of French troops deployed to protect houses of worship and schools across the country will be increased from 3,000 to 7,000 across the country. On the 31st, a gunman shot and wounded a Greek Orthodox priest in the city of Lyon. The suspect, who is a man of Georgian descent, wasn't arrested until November 7th. On the 4th, France outlawed the Turkish nationalist group Grey Wolves after the group committed a series of attacks against the Armenian community in the city of Lyon. The city's Armenian community has been attacked multiple times by groups of ethnic Turks and Azeris over the current conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. The Grey Wolves seek to unite all Turkic people all over the world, while also promoting ultranationalism, fascism, and racism. The group has been called the armed wing of the Nationalist Movement Party, and has been blamed for multiple terrorist attacks since its founding in 1968. In the UK on the 25th of October, the Liberian flag tanker, Nave Andromeda, was hijacked by a group of stowaways near the Isle of Wight. After receiving a request from Hampshire Police, the Secretaries of Home and Defense authorized the deployment of a 16-man team from the elite Special Boat Service, SBS the sbs team which was based nearby in the town of Poole, was assisted by two wildcat and two merlin helicopters of the royal navy seven hijackers were detained by the assault force and the crew was found unharmed the sbs is the uk's premier naval assault force that along with the special air service was formed in world war ii to wage unconventional warfare against the axis powers in italy on the 25th, clashes broke out between riot police and demonstrators in Rome. There were there to protest new COVID-19 restrictions in the country after Italy saw a surge in cases. Clashes began when around 200 masked members of Forza Nuova threw flares and firecrackers at police. Forza Nuova, otherwise known as New Force in English, is an Italian political party that has been described as both neo-fascist and ultra-nationalist. Several demonstrators were arrested during the course of the night, and the next day on the 26th, demonstrators took to the streets again in dozens of cities. Protests turned into riots in Milan, Turin, and Trieste with petrol bombs being thrown at police. At least 28 people were arrested in Milan alone. In Germany, on November 10th, 11 men were charged with being in a far-right organization After planning an attack on Muslims in the country to create unrest and eventually overthrow the German government, according to federal prosecutors, eight men led by Werner S. and Tony E. formed Group S in September 2019. Three others joined later and a 12th man was charged with supporting the group. The group allegedly wanted to create conditions to spark a civil war in Germany. On November 2nd in Austria, around 20-hundred local time in Vienna, a gunman began firing in a crowd of civilians. Armed with a rifle, pistol, machete, and wearing a fake explosive vest, he attacked seven separate areas in the city, shooting at passersby and restaurant-goers. The gunman was described as a 20-year-old Islamist terrorist. He was jailed for 22 months in april 2019 after attempting to join isis in syria he was released in december of that year under more lenient terms for young adults he has dual citizenship in austria and north macedonia and all he killed four civilians and severely wounded a police officer before he was killed in a firefight with members of austria's counter-terror force eka cobra Units of the Austrian army were deployed to secure public areas in Vienna, and the Czech Republic implemented random border checks with the country to prevent terrorists from entering. In Belarus, on November 6, the EU announced sanctions against President Alexander Lukashenko, his son Victor, Chief of Staff Igor Sergenko, and the head of the State Security Committee, Ivan Tertel. Protests are still going on through the country, uh, but they are losing some momentum, right? So Lukashenko isn't going anywhere. In Russia, on October 30th, a 16-year-old boy stabbed and wounded a police officer several times in the town of Kukmor in Tartistan. The boy was then shot dead by another police officer. According to Russian news agency Interfax, the boy was trying to set fire to a police station when officers found him. The incident is being treated as a terrorist attack. And on November 9th, a conscript soldier killed an officer with an axe and then shot two more officers dead at a military base near Vorozne. The suspect was detained and an investigation into the incident was launched. And moving on to the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. On the 25th, for the first time, Azerbaijani President Ilham Aliyev referred to the conflict as the Second Karabakh War. On the same day, Azeri troops made more gains in the region, capturing the town of Kabaldi, and the gains were announced by President Aliyev and confirmed by Armenian authorities later in the day. Aliyev also claimed that his forces took full control of the Kalbajar region, and the prosecutor's office of Armenia claimed that it had received verified information on Turkish special forces fighting in the region on behalf of Azerbaijan, No evidence of those claims were given, though. Also on the 25th, Iran held military exercises near its border with Armenia and Azerbaijan involving infantry, artillery, and drone units. This comes after the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps deployed its 25th Kabara division to the border. The conflict is spilled over into Iran in some instances, destroying homes and injuring civilians. On the 26th, a ceasefire was brokered by the U.S. State Department and went into effect at 0800 local time. This third ceasefire did not last. On the same day, the assistant to the president of Azerbaijan stated that Turkish forces were stationed in Aziri bases but did not participate in the fighting. Also on the 26th, the Syrian National Army's Hamza Division announced the death of Abdel al-Sharir, a high-level leader within the division. Reports claim that he was killed by Armenian artillery, and the Hamza Division is one of the two units of the Syrian National Army that are known to have deployed to Nagorno-Karabakh, along with the Sultan Murad Division. al Sharir was also a veteran of multiple campaigns in Syria, and that will be a blow to the division and the Syrian National Army as a whole. On the 27th, a video from a Euro News crew showed that a vehicle belonging to one of their crews was hit by an anti-tank guided missile fired by Armenian forces while they reported from the Azeri side of the front. Thankfully, the missile barely hit their vehicle. It looks like it deflected off the roof, so they got pretty lucky. Also on the 27th, Artsakh appointed a new minister of defense after Lieutenant General Geral Horatian was wounded in action. A video service online of an Azeri drone. That supposedly targeted an armenian truck carrying the general according to aziri forces that drone strike did kill him that was at first denied by Artsakh officials but was later confirmed that the general did die in that situation a few days later so it's pretty crazy minister of defense being killed in combat that's uh yeah rank doesn't mean anything no one is no one is safe, especially not when it comes to drones. On the 31st, video surfaced online of Assyri forces using white phosphorus munitions on forested areas in Nagorno-Karabakh. The munitions caused massive wildfires in the area, and the use of those weapons was denied by Azerbaijan. But again, it's kind of hard to disprove that video evidence. If you've ever seen white phosphorus, uh, whether in in person or in videos, it's, uh, it's some pretty nasty stuff. On the 5th of November, Azeri forces shelled several cities in Artsakh, including the capital Stepanakart, the city of Shusha, and the city of Maturni. Reporters Without Borders called on Azerbaijan to allow the evacuation of civilians, including some 80 journalists, in the city. On the same day, the Lachin corner was closed by Armenian forces, as Azeri troops made it only within a few kilometers of the city of Shusha. The corridor is a strategic mountain pass, which is the shortest route from Armenia to Artsakh. The only road in and out of Shusha also leads to the capital, Stepanakart. Losing that corridor would cut off a major supply line for Armenian forces. On the 9th, Aziri forces accidentally shot down a Russian military helicopter over Armenia with manned portable air defense systems. Two crew members were killed and one was injured. Armenia formally apologized and offered condolences to the families of that crew. On November 9th, after Aziri forces took the strategic city of Shusha, Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan announced a deal was signed with Azerbaijan and Russia to end the war in Nagorno Karabakh. As part of the agreement, Armenia will hand over large parts of the region over to Azerbaijan, and a force of about 2,000 Russian troops will be deployed as peacekeepers. The peacekeeping mission will last at least five years and will first be supplemented by the 1st and 2nd Battalions of the 15th Motorized Rifle Brigade. A transport corridor will also be established, traveling through Armenia, linking Azerbaijan at Nakhchivan which is an autonomous republic that is separate from the mainland by Armenia. The deal was met with anger by many Armenians and thousands of protesters turned out in the capital of Yerevan that night, and some of them even stormed the parliament building in the capital. Since the beginning of the deal, multiple videos and pictures have surfaced showing evidence of war crimes committed by Azeri troops in the regions surrounding Shusha, including images showing the mutilated bodies of Armenian troops, and swastikas painted on civilian vehicles riddled with bullets. On the 14th, Armenia's National Security Service, NSS, foiled an assassination plot on the prime minister. Little details were given, but weapons, explosives, and ammunition were found in the home of the suspect, who planned to house the current government. Several high-level arrests were made in connection with the plot, including former Prime Minister Varam Bagdasharan, former NSS head Artur Varyatzen, a member of the Revolutionary Federation Party and a commander of a volunteer paramilitary unit. At this time, Armenia's Ministry of Health has confirmed that 2,317 members of the Armenian Armed Forces were killed in action. Of those, only 1,434 have been positively identified. 21 servicemen were captured, and around 300 servicemen are still listed as missing in action. Azerbaijan has not released any casualty figures for the forces. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights claims that 293 fighters of the Syrian National Army were killed in the fighting. However, the SOHR isn't always the most reliable source, but that's really all that we have right now. The number of civilian casualties on both sides is still unknown and Russia claims that over 4,000 people have been killed in the conflict overall. Moving on to Asia, on November 6th, the People's Republic of China condemned U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's decision to remove the Turkestan Islamic Party from the Department of State's list of foreign terror groups. The TIP, formerly known as the East Turkestan Islamic Movement, Is an organization that was started by Uyghur jihadists from the Xinjiang region of China. The Salafi jihadi group operates in Xinjiang, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Central Asia, and Syria. Its main allies are Al Qaeda and the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan. The group was removed from the list on November 5th and is still designated as a terrorist group by the UN under its 1267 Counterterrorism Committee. This is a move that I personally disagree with, and in reality, it was just made to piss off China. Moving on to the Middle East in Afghanistan on the 28th, it was announced that over 100 Taliban insurgents were killed as the Afghan armed forces pushed to retake areas of Helmand province that are in militant control. According to the defense ministry, the offensive, which began two weeks prior to the 28th, led to the liberation of several parts of Nawa and Nad Ali districts in Helmand. Operations in the area are still ongoing. On the 29th, a prison riot in Herat province left eight prisoners dead and another 12 wounded. No more details are known at this time. On the first, three Afghan policemen were killed and two were wounded when a bomb strapped to a motorbike exploded outside of a police station in the city of Herat. No group claimed responsibility for that attack. Same day, four soldiers were killed and eight were wounded when a mortar shell fell inside their camp in Kunduz province while they were playing a game of volleyball. Kunduz's governor blamed the Taliban for the attack, but no group claimed responsibility. Next day, on the second three, ISIS gunmen opened fire at Kabul University, killing 22 and wounding another 22 others. The attack happened around the time that government officials were going to be on campus for the opening of an Iranian book fair. The gunmen were killed in a firefight with security forces at the end of the assault. Shortly after the attack, ISIS claimed that it targeted, quote, the graduation of judges of the apostate Afghan government. ISIS-K, which is the group's branch in Afghanistan, has attacked education centers before. Last month, an attack by the group outside of a tuition center in Kabul killed 24 people. On the 6th, the Afghan National Army recaptured the Argandab district of Kandahar province, killing roughly 200 Taliban fighters, according to the ANA's chief general Muhammad Yasin Zia. The district is one of the closest to the city of Kandahar and was also one of the safest before the Taliban took control of it two weeks prior to that assault. And lastly, on the 13th, a car bomb in Paghman district, Kabul province, killed four soldiers and injured another five. No group claimed responsibility. In Pakistan, on the 27th, a bomb at a school in Peshawar killed eight students. No group claimed responsibility for that and no motive is known at this time. However, Peshawar has been the victim of intense violence perpetrated by the Taliban throughout the course of the insurgency. And on the 13th, Pakistan and India shelled each other in the Kashmir region. India said it foiled an infiltration attempt by Pakistan. While Pakistan says it responded to unprovoked fire from the Indian army, shelling between the two sides in Kashmir is fairly common, but this round was particularly deadly. On the Indian side, four civilians, four soldiers, and one member of the border security force were killed. On the Pakistani side, five civilians and seven soldiers were killed. And in Iraq, on the 25th of October, protests took to the streets of Baghdad, Basra, Nazaria, and Ajaf, to mark the year anniversary of widespread protests and corruption in the country's government. Clashes between security forces and protesters erupted when tear gas was used to keep demonstrators from crossing strategic bridges in the area. Protesters responded with multi-cocktails. At the end, six, pro- six protesters excuse me, and 43 officers were injured, according to government sources. The protest movement has been met with overwhelming violence by security forces with at least 500 protesters being killed throughout the course of the year. And on the 31st, a bombing in Mutana government killed three and wounded another 50 people. An oil pipeline was the intended target, and this is the second bombing of oil infrastructure in the country within a week. Among the dead were two children and at least nine members of a Shia militia are among the wounded. Still not clear who perpetrated that attack. And in Iran, on the 13th, a report by the New York Times claimed that Abdullah al Abdullah, al-Qaeda's second-in-command, was killed by Israeli agents on behalf of the U.S. in Iran back in August. Abdullah, who went by Abu Mohammed al-Marsi, was gunned down by two men on a motorbike in Tehran on August 7th. His death has been kept a secret until now. However, no governments have publicly acknowledged the killing and Al-Qaeda has not announced his death. The Egyptian-born Marcy was a founding member of Al-Qaeda and the mastermind of the 1998 U.S. Embassy bombings in Tanzania and Kenya. Those bombings killed 224 people and led Marcy to being put on the FBI's most wanted list. Also reportedly killed with him was his daughter Miriam, the widow of Hamza bin Laden, who was killed by U.S. forces in Afghanistan last year. And in Syria on the 26th, a Russian airstrike in northwest Idlib hit a camp of the rebel group known as the Sham Legion. According to the rebels, 38 were killed. According to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, 78 were killed. True casualty numbers are hard to verify due to the the reputation of both of those sources. The group falls under the National Front for Liberation, which is a Turkish-backed coalition of groups fighting the Syrian government. Russia has accused Turkey of deploying detachments of the Legion to Libya and Azerbaijan to serve as a proxy force, which is likely the motivation for the airstrike. It's worth noting that the strike did take place about six miles or 10 kilometers from the Turkish border. And with that being said, we will take a quick break and we'll be right back. and we're back with africa on the 31st early in the morning forces from the naval special warfare development group formerly known as seal team six conducted an operation to rescue an american citizen named philip walton seals were assisted by marine raiders who recon the area prior to the mission. Walton was kidnapped from his farm in Masalata, Niger, only a few days prior to the raid. The raid was successful as Walton was safely placed in the hands of the U.S. State Department. U.S. forces took no casualties in the raid, and five of the six kidnappers were killed on the target. Moving on to the Democratic Republic of Congo. On the 29th, militants with the Allied Democratic Forces, ADF, killed at least 18 people and burned down a church near the city of Oicha. The ADF, which we have covered previously on the podcast, has killed more than 1,000 civilians since the beginning of 2019, according to a U.N. report. On the 31st, the ADF killed 21 civilians in an attack on the village of Laisa. In addition, a Catholic church was desecrated and homes were burned. Of those killed, 15 were women. In Mali, on the 2nd, France claimed that airstrikes by its forces killed over 50 al-Qaeda-linked militants in central Mali. According to the defense minister, Florence Parley, on October 30th, forces assigned to Operation Barkhane, quote, conducted operations that neutralized more than 50 jihadists and confiscated arms and material. She stated that their operation was launched after a drone spotted a large convoy of about 30 motorcycles in the area, According to a military spokesperson, four militants were captured after the engagement and another operation was underway in the greater Sahara involving about 3,000 troops. The results of that operation are to be announced soon. In Morocco, on the 27th, an ISIS militant killed a guard and injured three others with a metal object at a prison in Rabat. This is the first terrorist attack in Morocco since two Scandinavian tourists were killed near Mount in 2018 by self-proclaimed sorry self-proclaimed isis fighters 24 were convicted on charges and connected with those killings while moroccos generally a safe country for tourists with the last attack prior to 2018 perpetrated in 2011 around 1600 moroccans have traveled abroad to join isis in their fight on the 13th the sarari arab democratic republic SADR declared war on Morocco after what it claims was an assault on the village of Guerguat by Moroccan forces. The SADR is a de facto sovereign nation which covers parts of Western Sahara. The rest of Western Sahara is claimed and controlled by Morocco. Morocco and the SADR fought a war over control of Western Sahara from 1975 to 1991, which resulted in the former controlling 75% of that territory. A ceasefire was agreed upon at the end of the conflict, which is enforced by UN peacekeeping troops. The SADR is currently recognized by over 35 countries around the world. Morocco claimed it was acting on self defense on the 13th after SADR troops made an incursion near the city of Al Mabs. And fighting is still ongoing. On the 14th, the SADR declared war on Morocco, officially ending the ceasefire. There's no word on casualties for either side at this point. Moving on to Egypt, on the 25th, officials announced that ISIS's Sinai province has killed 14 people in the city of Bir al-Bad with IEDs in the past two weeks. ISIS fighters attacked several cities and, sorry, several areas in the cities back in July and planted bombs after civilians were driven from their homes. The civilians later returned the next month after the areas were resecured by soldiers. Several of the IEDs were planted in homes, leading to the deaths of six people from one family alone. Women and children are among the dead. The Sinai Peninsula has been plagued by almost 10 years of insurgency. On the 12th, a helicopter with the U.S.-led multinational force and observers, MFO, crashed near Sharm al-Sheikh in Sinai Peninsula. Of the nine on board, only one in American, survived the crash. Six of those killed are U.S. servicemen with one Czech and one French serviceman, also among the dead. The MFO was established to ensure a lasting peace after Egypt and Israel signed a peace deal in 1979. The force consists of 1,154 troops from 13 countries, 450 of those are from the U.S. It's not clear why the crash occurred, but the Czech military said it was due to a mechanical malfunction. Those killed were identified as Captain Seth Vernon Vandekamp of Caddy, Texas. Chief Warrant Officer 3, Dallas Gerard Garza of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Chief Warrant Officer 2, Marwin Sameh Gabor of Marlboro, Massachusetts. Staff Sergeant Kyle Robert McKee of Painesville, Ohio. Sergeant Jeremy Kane Sherman of Watska, Illinois. Check Sergeant Major Michaela Tika And French Lieutenant Colonel Sebastian Bata. And of course, we are praying for their families. In Mozambique, on the 8th, ISIS-linked militants beheaded over 50 people in a village massacre in Cabo Delgado. This is thought to be the worst massacre by Islamists since April 2020, when over 50 people were shot or beheaded in another village attack. Cabo Delgado has faced a fierce insurgency by Islamist militants for over three years now, which we have covered before on this podcast. And in Ethiopia, on the morning of November 4th, the Tigray Defense Forces launched a preemptive strike in, quote, self-defense on the northern command of the Ethiopian National Defense Force, ENDF, in the city of Mikkel. The ENDF took several casualties in the assault, and heavy weapons were looted from the base. On that same day, Ethiopia's government launched an offensive against the Tigray People's Liberation Front, which controls the country's northern Tigray region. The TPLF is a major political party in the country that's mainly based in Tigray nationalism. The central government announced a six month state of emergency in Tigray, which led it to cut internet and communication lines in the area. This round of tension between the region and the central government began when the central government postponed elections in August due to COVID 19 concerns. The TPLF held elections in Tigray anyway, which led to the central government to withhold funding for the region. On the 5th, Chief Administrator of Tigray, Debretsen Garpa michael said that Tigray forces took most of the weapons at the Northern Command's headquarters and that the command itself had defected to Tigray. This claim was called false information by the Ethiopian government. On the same day, the country's national defense forces declared it is, quote, at war with the TPLF. Tigray officials said that the Ethiopian Air Force has bombed areas just outside of Mikkel with fighter jets. On the sixth, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed accused the TPLF of, quote, criminal hubris. Sudan closed its borders with the country in response to the fighting, and the UN has called for a peaceful resolution. On the 7th, in an attempt to avoid civil war, the country's parliament voted to endorse a creation of an interim government in northern Tigray. And on the 9th, Amnesty International reported that a massacre took place in the town of Makadra, in which up to 500 civilians were killed. The group said it analyzed multiple videos showing bodies that had wounds that looked to be caused by bladed weapons. It's not clear who committed the attack, but according to Amnesty International, international, witnesses blamed the TPLF. And the next day on the 10th, Ethiopian forces took Kumara Airport and surrounding areas. The airport resides near the borders with Eritrea and Sudan. By this day, state media claimed that 550 TPLF forces had been killed so far, and another 29 members of local militias and special forces had surrendered. On the 14th, missiles launched by the TPLF hit outside of Asmara, the capital of Eritrea. The attack came hours after the TPLF threatened to attack Eritrea, its northern neighbor. Those threats came after reports arised of Eritrean troops fighting against the TPLF in the Tigray conflict. If all this information is true, that would take this fighting from a civil war to an international conflict. On the same day, TPLF rockets hit Kandar Airport and Bahir Dar Airport. Kandar was slightly damaged and Bahir Dar was missed by the rockets. The TPLF stated it would soon conduct missile attacks to foil the movements of Eritrean and Ethiopian troops. In response to this conflict, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned the situation could destabilize the entire Horn of Africa. According to the UN Refugee Agency, more than 14,000 Ethiopians have fled into neighboring Sudan to escape the fighting. At this time, Amnesty International has accused Tigray forces of stabbing and hacking hundreds of civilians to death in the area. The TPLF has denied involvement by its troops. At this time, it is believed that hundreds of troops have been killed on both sides. Moving on to the Americas in the United States on the 4th, protesters in multiple U.S. cities took to the streets over the 2020 election. Notable protests took place in Philadelphia, Detroit, and Chicago. The Los Angeles Police Department announced a citywide tactical alert to ensure resources were in place in the event of civil unrest. In Portland, the National Guard was mobilized, and at least one person was arrested carrying a firearm and an IED. Unified Command in Portland, made up of the state and local police, advised Governor Brown to activate the National Guard. On the 5th, police said they foiled a plot to attack the Pennsylvania Convention Center in Philadelphia, where votes for the 2020 election were being counted. Two Virginia men were arrested with firearms inside their vehicle after the FBI received a tip about the plot and passed it on to local police The two men, Joshua Macias, 42, and Antonio Lamota, 61, were arrested without incident. On the 7th, former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Kamal Harris were projected to win the U.S. president election. The Electoral College will meet on December 14th and officially decide the outcome of the election then. On the 9th, Secretary of Defense Mark Esper was fired by President Trump, director for the National Counterterrorism Center. Christopher C. Miller was named as acting secretary. Miller previously served as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations and Combating Terrorism. He also served in the US Army from 1983 to 2014, serving as a Green Beret from 1993 to 2014. He deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan as part of the 5th Special Forces Group. So we'll see how he does however long he will be in office. And lastly, in Bolivia on the 5th, according to a spokesperson for the movement towards socialism, president-elect Luis Arce was attacked with dynamite at his party's headquarters in La Paz. No injuries were reported in the attack. Tensions between right-wing incumbent politicians and socialists led by Arce have been high in recent times especially since the October 18th election of Arce to the presidency. He was inaugurated on November 8th. And with that being said, that's all I have for you guys this week. I want to thank everyone for supporting this podcast. Really means a lot to me. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, anywhere you find podcasts, we're there. You could also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate, all one word. And we will see you guys around.